Father, I just ask that you would, uh, you would take the things uh, that you've given me here and that you would make them mean something. Uh, Lord, I thank you for sports analogies to help me understand that I just throw up the alley-oop pass, but I need you to take it and slam dunk it into the hearts of the people. And uh, God, I just ask you to do that before everybody um, so that they're looking for you and not looking for me. In Jesus' name, Lord, amen. Okay, we're going to be reading through Jude today. So uh, if you have your Bible, open on up to Jude. It's a little book right before Revelation. Uh, And it's just a single chapter, and we're going to read all the way through it, and then we're going to talk about some things. So... Yeah, we're going to be productive. We're going to read an entire book of the Bible today. (laughs) You guys can go brag on that to your friends. Well, at our church. Kyle, I'm getting like a lot of little staticky fuzz. Is that a battery thing? All right. Should that help a little bit? Okay. Maybe staticky fuzz was my beard or something. It has that effect, guys. Uh, Okay. Um, Normally, I I really like to bring stuff to you guys that's really like family focused and going to help you with your marriages or with your parenting or with your extended family. Um, But today, uh, I really wanted to talk about, you know, us defending the faith. And there's a verse in Jude that really stuck out to me where he says, I wanted to write you about salvation, but don't worry, we'll get to it. You don't have to find it yet. She's like, well, which one is it? <laughs> we'll get to it, don't worry. He says, I really wanted to write to you about our, our uh, salvation, which has been given to, to us, but I felt it necessary to write to you about defending the faith. And that's kind of how I felt today. I really wanted to speak about family and parenting and marriage and uh, relationships and all these type of things, but um, I just really felt it necessary uh, to talk about defending the faith. So, in our country, morality has really taken a back seat. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, maybe you have, uh, but maybe you haven't. It's been, you know, going on for a little while. It's not something that's just come up this year. Um, but it's kind of been this thing where it's kind of been on this rounded downward decline for the past hundred years. Um, and, I, and so I wanted to talk about that. Look, immorality is nothing new in the world. And however much we may look at, at our society and our country and think, man, this thing is just going to hell in a hands basket or whatever. You know what? It's been a lot worse than it is right now in this world. Uh, so at least you have that, you know, (laughs) it has been a lot worse than it is right now. But here's the deal. Our society uh, doesn't really value morality. It doesn't value purity. What our society values is individual freedom. It it really does. The the core principles of our society are you go do what you're going to do. That's it. And it's not about you being responsible to honor God responsible to serve society, to responsible to serve those around you. It's not about that. It's about you go do what you're going to do. And that is the core principle of, honestly, of all of Western society. And it's been that way uh, for long before America. Uh, I mean, go back and look at, at the French Revolution and, you know, some of the mindsets that were happening. And they'll, they'll say, oh, well, we were being oppressed by the upper class. Uh, but when you really go and dig into some of the writings and stuff, you find out, they just wanted to do what they wanted to do. That's what it boils down to. And, and they, wanted, they were not being empowered to do what they want to do. And that, that has been the core of humanity since Adam and Eve. We're going to do what we want to do. And what's happened in America is, is our, our founding fathers, great men as they were, honorable men, uh, moral men, businessmen, <laughs> who really wanted to protect their businesses, right? So I don't want to, you know, dog on them too much. They've done an incredible thing, and, and the United States is uh, no doubt a step forward in the way a society should be run. Uh, 
we've done it much better than civilizations of the past. But our forefathers, they were businessmen. And they were going around in bar rooms uh, stirring up rebellion because they were frustrated about taxes. So, you know, you can justify that, and I'll agree with you. But just don't call it Christian, because that's not how Jesus would have behaved. Jesus had a mindset of his father's business. Our forefathers had a mindset of their whiskey business, or whatever it was. Okay, So there's this myth. There's this myth that Christians carry around that our country's founded on Christian principles. right? And we wear it like a badge of honor, and we kind of get prideful like, you know, this country was made for us, for the Christians. And it's, it's not really true, because if it was made for the Christians, then our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution would quote the Bible. They don't. They don't. When I read through the Gospels and I read through the life of Christ, he quotes Scripture. When I read through a book and I see, oh, it's, it's quoting Scripture in this book, then that checks a box like, well, maybe this is a Christian book. And if it doesn't quote Scripture, and somebody asks me, is that a Christian book? No, nah, but it's a good book. But it's just not Christian. And our Constitution is a good document. And the, and the Declaration of Independence is a great document. But they're not Christian documents. And we need to realize that. We need to realize that this country is not the kingdom of God. And if we're going to represent the kingdom of God then at times we are going to stand opposed to what this country stands for. Okay? Let's just go through a few things. Um, Christ stood for obedience above freedom. Jesus didn't run around doing what he wanted to do. He ran around only doing the things that his father empowered him to do. It was total and utter obedience. He did not operate with freedom. He operated with obedience to the Father. Jesus valued purity over prosperity. He said, cut off your right hand if it causes you to sin. <laughs> that is valuing purity over prosperity. I, I mean, maybe not for left-handed people, <laughs> but for the right-handed people to cut off the right hand it's going to be hard to work. I'll tell you right now that at my work, my mouse is on my right-hand side. <laughs> and if I had you know, no hand, it would be hard for me to make videos. <laughs> Jesus valued self-sacrifice over happiness. He would rather put himself on a cross than to live a long life and have children. Do you realize that? Jesus was fully man. Do you think he didn't have manly instincts, a drive to be a father, a drive to have a, a wife and kids. You think those temptations, those, those dreams didn't exist inside of him? Well, if he was fully man, then I guarantee you they did. And he put them aside every single day because he knew there was a more important task to be handled. Right? He put aside all of the, the happiness, the pursuit of happiness. He put it aside. He did not pursue happiness. Instead, he pursued self-sacrifice. That is absolutely opposed to the way we live our lives. Jesus stood for serving others before being self-seeking. Right? Man, we see a lot of self-seeking people uh, in this country. And, and wow, are they empowered to go and seek whatever it is they want to seek? Oh, but Jesus never empowered people to be self-seeking. In fact, he, <laughs> he kind of ripped people if he caught them being self-seeking, particularly the Pharisees. He would rip them a new one if they were being self-seeking. He was all about serving the people around you and not worrying about your own needs. And then finally, the biggest one is that Jesus stood for a total dependence on God, whereas the United States especially stands for independence, right? Like, look, I can take care of myself, right? I can pay my bills. I'll go get a job. I'll, I'll put in the 40, 50 hours a week, whatever it takes. I'll, I'll take care of my bills. I'll feed my family. That's not how Jesus thought. 
It's not, it's not, it wasn't the foundational mindset of how he operated. He operated with, I depend on God for everything. So you begin to look at the life of Jesus and the words of Jesus and the mindset of Jesus. And then you start to look at our society and it's very different. At a foundational level, it's very, very different. Uh, maybe this isn't a news flash to you guys, but we're not in heaven. <laughs> right? You've heard it talked about we have dual citizenship, yeah? We're U.S. citizens and we are citizens of heaven. Those are two different places. And we have to represent heaven. So what happened was our forefathers did a really good job. They did a good job. And I would commend them today. I would shake their hands. I would listen to every word they said. They established a country. They did not establish the kingdom of God. But because they were moral men, because they honored the people around them, because they walked with integrity, they set a precedent that carried a precedent. Yeah, they set a, they set a precedent that carried through for over a hundred years. And the Bible was a moral authority long before the U.S. came around. The, the Bible was a moral authority basically since its creation. All through the Middle Ages, whether people were following the Bible is a whole different discussion. But whether people respected the Bible as a good moral anchor, absolutely. And when the U.S. was established back in 1770s, right, the Bible was the moral anchor that we went with, that our society went with, and that carried through. Now, we weren't always this holy nation. I mean, you know, you look at the 1920s, uh, <laughs> yeah, we weren't that holy. You look at uh, Manifest Destiny, <laughs> we weren't that holy of a nation. But we had the Bible there as our moral anchor, and everybody understood and agreed that, look, the Bible is a moral anchor. What's happened over the last 50 years especially, is that anchor has become untied. And some people, they, they want to part ways with the Bible as a moral anchor. Other people want to change the Bible, right, to make it suit their own desires, all right? So what's the good of an anchor if you're going to just pull it up and just kind of drift along and just say, well, we've got an anchor, but you're really just kind of drifting around? That's kind of what ha is happening. And as I said, it's, it's been this kind of rounded downward thing where it kind of started out slowly in the 50s, in the 60s, and it took a, a steep turn downward through the 70s and the 80s. And then what's really happened is it's kind of taken the opposite trajectory as our national debt, which is kind of just done like this, gone just straight up. So as our national debt has gone way up, our, our moral compass has just gone way down to the point now that, uh, I mean, unless you're you know, a strong Christian, I'm not sure that anybody really respects the Bible as more than a really old book. And it is so much more than that. Um, so this is the state of things. I wanted to talk about morality because it's been bothering me. It's been bothering me. And I read through Jude, and the Lord really helped me uh, with some of the frustrations I was feeling toward just everything. So I wanted to read through Jude with you guys, and we're going to talk about some things and uh, I want you to go about this with the mindset that this is a time for self-examination. Right? We all know the world's a mess. But what good can we be to the world if we are also a mess? All right? So this is a time for self-examination. Right? Okay. Jude 1. A bond, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who are called, sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied upon you. I'm reading out of New King James. Um, and in New King James, the word that sticks out right here is that those who are sanctified by God, that's set apart by God, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied upon you. All right? Jude is straight right off the bat. Creating that separation. There's those people who love God and who serve God, and those are the people that I want to talk to you right now. All right? So, beloved, 
While I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. The NIV says they, they uh, take the grace of God and use it as a license for immorality. Uh, and look, this is nothing new. Jude was writing to the church back then, and yet it's going to sound incredibly similar to what we see today. <laughs> it's nothing new. Uh, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting, an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, have given, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So he just runs through quick, three quick examples that, look, God does not like it when you step out of his way of doing things, right? He doesn't like it. His own people did it, and he destroyed them afterwards. The angels did it, and he set aside hell for them. Sodom and Gomorrah did it, and they flat out didn't exist afterwards. Likewise, and this is an important verse. I'll take a moment on this. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Uh, I, th I like the NIV version a little bit better in that verse. Um, it's derived from a different original text. There's two main biblical texts. Um, that all the different versions are basically pick one or the other. And the NIV comes from a different original text. And it says that they, uh, these men who, who claim authority according to their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and they scoff at celestial beings or angels. And that I like that. It's a bit more accurate. When I hear the word dignitaries, I think of politics. But that wasn't what the text was talking about. Uh, the text was talking about people who scoff at the spiritual side of our existence. Okay? Yet Michael, the, archange the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said instead, he said, The Lord rebuke you. Yes. But, but these men speak evil of Whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Okay, verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. We're going to come back and hit those three in just a second. These are the spots on your love, in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up in their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackest, the blackness of darkness forever. We're going to come back to that verse as well. 11 and 12 we're going to hit here in a second. Verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh son from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's pretty strong. You try to go through this thing without God in an ungodly way, it's not going to go well for you. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. How many of you guys have ever been flattered by somebody who was trying to gain an advantage with you? Yeah, I've been there. It's kind of sickening, isn't it? 
it's like, well, okay, I guess I'll take the compliment, but that's it. <laughs> You've gotten nowhere with me. <laughs> it just feels ill, doesn't it? It just feels weird. I, I never like to be flattered by somebody I think is trying to just gain advantage with me. Ah, oh, it's terrible. I hate it. Ugh, okay, sorry about that. <laughs> but you, beloved... Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of, the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Here's the key. We're going to hit this really hard at the end. And on some have compassion, making distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Man, Jude knows how to close out a, a chapter, doesn't he? That's pretty good. The opening and the closing of this book, like, you could have a couple sermons just between those two. <laughs> All right, so let's back up. We're just going to go all the way back to verse 11. I think all the other things before that I kind of already covered. So verse 11, it says, These men have gone the way of Cain. Uh, they've run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Uh, here's what those three things mean. Cain despised his brother's sacri sacrifice. And, and that was his great mistake. And then the mistake he ultimately paid for was obviously murdering his brother. But he went off, off track the moment he started to despise his brother's sacrifice. And look, I know that you have made sacrifices for God. You've made, you've made decisions in your life to try to honor God. Maybe it was, you know what, Lord, I, I'm going to stop cussing. I'm just going to give that up. That was a sacrifice. You know, in high school, before I was saved, and I cussed like a high schooler who wasn't saved, <laughs> we used to make fun of the kids who wouldn't cuss. That is the way of Cain. It's despising your brother's sacrifice. Um, whatever it may be. Look, we all make different sacrifices, and you've had people in your life that have kind of scoffed or kind of, kind of sneered at the things that you've done to honor God. And... They, they are, have made the same mistake that Cain has made in not recognizing your sacrifice and honoring it. All right, so that is the way of Cain. They have greedily run the way of Balaam for profit. Balaam was uh, uh, a voice of authority, uh, a voice of influence. And men paid him to go and curse the Israelites. Uh, now, obviously, it kind of backfired. If you know the story, because God ended up just like taking hold and say, you know, you're going to do a blessing instead. But he, he, for profit, tried to curse the people of God. And there are people today that are doing that, that they really don't have anything against Christians. They really don't have anything against the Bible or against Jesus. But because there's money to be made, they will gladly speak against Jesus They'll gladly speak against the church. Why? Because they're greedy. <laughs> they want money. And they've run greedily the way of Balaam for profit. And the last one is um, Paris in the rebellion of Korah. Uh, Korah was the one who led the rebellion against Moses. And the earth came up and swallowed him and all of his followers. Ultimately, it started because he wanted to marry a woman who was not Israelite. And that was against 
That was against what they were supposed to be doing. He wanted to do his own thing. Korah wanted to do his own thing. And so much so that he actually tried to debunk the, the man of God who had been appointed by God. And he began uh, to uh, insult Moses' leadership so that he could try to usurp Moses. And we have people today in the church that they want to do their own thing. So what do they do? They try to debunk the, the spiritual authority that God has put in place. That's bad news. That is a really, really poor decision on their part. Because God will defend the people that he puts in place. <laughs> he will defend his, his appointments with a vengeance. Uh, even in this day where we have the blood of Christ, he will still defend his appointments in really drastic ways. Uh, and so these people who have crept in unnoticed and they try to debunk spiritual authorities, they're going to get in trouble. All right, so I love verses 12 through 13 because it's so poetic. And we're going to run through the uh, five things, six things, I'm sorry, uh, that Jude hits on. Uh, the first being that these, these immoral types will f- be the spot in your love feast. Uh, feasting without fear. Look, we all love to love on each other, right? And when I say we all, I mean like every person on earth kind of appreciates love. Uh, it's kind of a good thing. Even if you're not Christian, everybody kind of just loves to, to love. It's just nice. And likewise, all of us like fail at avoiding sin. Everyone in this room is struggling with sin. How many of you guys have uh, overcome some sort of of sin or impurity and and you're feeling good about yourself only for the Lord to reveal something else? (laughs) You're like, oh, right. I thought I was pure as snow. (laughs) Only by the blood of Jesus. All right. It, It is amazing to me how easily we can find a new way to slip off the narrow path. Right, you just you just trying to stay on the path, and then whoop, slipped right off of it. And uh, you know, look, that happens. That happens, guys. What's important is that we a trust in Jesus uh, to cover our mistakes. Right, Jesus's blood funds our forgiveness, protects our eternal salvation. That's the first thing. We just have to trust in Jesus. Second thing, we have to honor Jesus by trying to get back on the path. Uh, you, you have to try to get out of whatever sin you fell into. Um, and so continue to do that. Here's the big difference, though, between being sinful and being immoral. Because Jude is talking to the immoral. He's talking about immoral people, not just sinful people. The big difference is the word fear. I know it's been coming up a lot the last few weeks, and you know what? I think there's a reason for that. Uh, Kyle started it off. But it says it right here in Jude, they feast without fear. And I want to ask you, whenever you sin, are you afraid of the sin in your life? Are you afraid of what it could mean? Because that's the difference. The immoral will sin and they don't care. They don't care. Uh, I think Matt Chandler calls it a seared conscience. It's callous. And if, if you're caught up in sin and you just kind of shrug at it, that's immorality. That's immorality, and you had better check it. Um, do you feel bad when you sin just because you feel like, oh, people expect better of me? I mean, that's definitely there. Whenever I mess up, I'm like, dang, you know, people are expecting me to be better than this. Or do you think, wow, man, I'm really, really just, I'm going to hurt the relationships that are in my life. I'm going to hurt the good things that God has put in my life. All right? I'm going to start to take away from my blessing. You know, that, there's a little bit of that too, whenever you fall into sin. But here's the key question. Do you sweat bullets at the idea that you might have to go through this life without God's Spirit, without Holy Spirit being with you? Does it kind of make your heart just like skip a beat? 
at the thought that you're going to have to go this without God. That's the fear of the Lord. We all know how much He helps us. And when we start to try to think about what's this going to be like if I separate myself from God? And that scares us. That's a good fear. We need to stay close to God. And that's the big difference between sinners and the immoral. Sinners understand that their sin is pulling them away from God, and that scares the dickens out of them. The immoral really couldn't care less. Okay? All right, so then Jude goes on, and he calls them clouds without water. Ah, so beautiful. So well written. A cloud with water, right? You know what they look like. They're kind of dark gray, and you're looking up, and you're thinking, all right, I might not have to water my lawn today. (laughs) That could be representative of a person who is acting as a gateway between heaven and earth, right? Rain is all the water vapors that have gathered up in the atmospheres and they've become so condensed that they're just about to fall down and that is a cloud with water in it. And you and I have a responsibility to go spend some time with God in a secret place and soak up all of the vapors that exist there, right? Just to spend some time just soaking in the Lord and just getting all these vapors and just getting them really dense in us so that we, we go, when we go into the world, we can drench people, yeah? Yeah, with just some really wet, messy glory. Just all on the dry places, all on the fires. That's our job. That's our job. We are called to be clouds with water. Go to heaven, get some vapor, come back to earth, give it to somebody. Repeat. (laughs) That's our job. These immoral types, you know what they do? They don't go there. They kind of just float around. And they're kind of a cloud, but they don't have any water. And people are looking to them for refreshment. Do they have any to give? No. Immorality cuts you off from the source. We're going to talk about that in the next one too. Because being a gateway is a precursor to being fruitful. And the next thing Jude says is that they are trees without fruit. He even identifies the season. They're in late autumn when they're supposed to be fruiting. Do you realize that the vast majority of trees do not fruit year-round? It's actually pretty rare. I think it happens in the rainforests, and they just keep producing fruit like all year. But most trees in the world, they have a specific time of year when they are supposed to fruit. Let me ask you this. Do you think trees put a lot of effort and stress into their fruiting process? Do you think trees like carry a lot of ambition for fruiting? Or do you think they kind of just do it naturally? They kind of just do it naturally, don't they? When we're in a right place with God and we're walking morally and we're staying close and we're being gateways, when the time comes for us to produce fruit, we will produce fruit. And it won't take a lot of stress and consternation on our part. That's right. I said consternation. (laughs) And half the people thought about the restroom. Okay. (laughs) Nothing like a little potty humor to wake everybody up, right? No, look, fruiting shouldn't be this like hard process where we're like, oh, I just feel like I'm not doing anything for God. I've got to do something for God. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. It shouldn't be like that, guys. You just be with God. Live your life as a Christian and let Holy Spirit do what He's going to do and you will produce fruit. Unless you've got immorality in your life and you will not produce fruit and it will frustrate you and you may try and try and try and try and try. Man, I've laid hands on 50 people this week and ain't nothing happened. Yeesh. Maybe you're out of season, but uh, maybe you need to check something. Maybe you need to check something. Lord, examine my heart, right? Find 
what's in me that I can't find for myself. Because immorality will take you and make you unfruitful. And that's, that's the first death, right? Just being unfruitful is, is like death in and of itself because you're not serving any purpose, not helping anybody. And then the second death is whenever the Lord uproots you and just does away. And the immoral who walk around without producing fruit, Jude says they are twice dead. First, they've made themselves dead by not producing any fruit because they've cut themselves off from the source of fruit, source with a capital S. So they've made themselves dead first by doing that, and then they've made themselves dead or, or they become dead again because the Lord just did away with them. What does Jesus say will happen to dead branches? They get thrown into a fire because they're just messing up the place. You know? You know what we do with broken toys in my house? Well, we let the dog chew on them for a little while longer. And then we throw them away. <laughs> I, I mean, we just don't keep broken up toys around our house. Why? They mess up the place. They clutter everything up. And immoral people who are walking around producing no fruit, they're kind of just cluttering things up. And the Lord just, look, just get out, just get out. You know, maybe you can figure stuff up, figure your stuff out and we'll welcome you back. But for now, just get out of here. Twice dead. Man. You know, you see these verses like, sorry, I'm stopping down a little bit. You see uh, like these verses like, uh, I, uh, I'm dead but alive in Christ, right? Um, the old has passed away and I'm a new creation in Christ. Look, these are awesome, awesome verses. But I want you to realize that Christians are not called to be like the, you know, the walking, you know, I am dead but Christ is alive in me. That's really, really, really good for you to understand your calling and your purpose in life. But you need to realize that as a Christian, you're meant to be twice alive. It's, it's the immoral non-believers who are the walking dead. Are we clear on that? Your, your purpose is to walk around with all of the awesome things that God put in you on purpose that are coupled with the blood of Christ. So you are twice alive. But the immoral non-believers who are producing no fruit and been discarded by God are twice dead. Okay? All right. Sorry. I just want to clarify that. All right. The last thing that Jude... Oh, no, no. Not the last thing. There's two more. He, call, he says the immoral are waves foaming in their own shame. Again, that's like another really poetic one. Uh, I guess, you know, we could look into that a number of different ways. This is the way that I looked into it. Shame or uh, foam is the part of the wave that is created as the wave churns, okay? And the wave is churning in the ocean and it's kind of building up all, all this foam on top of it. And then that foam is what can get blown off and land on whatever, another wave, a boat, you know, the shore, whatever. It's the, it's the foam that gets blown off of a wave and lands on something else. And the immoral sort of kind of carry this, they permeate this like, I don't know, smell or something, this idea that what they do is awesome because it's immoral, right? It feels so good to be bad, right? Oh, it feels so alive to taste a little bit of death. They, they, they carry this, like, pride about the things that they do. And that is the shame that Jude is talking about. They don't have shame in their hearts. They're not, they're not feeling shameful about their deeds, but their deeds are shameful. And it's that shame that shows up on the top, and it's that shame that can blow off and catch somebody. And so many people backslide because they look at the things that the immoral people in the world are doing, and they think to themselves, that just looks like so much fun. That looks like such an adventure. They, and it's poison. It's poison. And these, these immoral, they churn and churn and churn, and they produce this foam, and it's white, but it's not pure. And it's frothy, but it's not sweet. And, it, and it'll poison you. So you have to be aware of that. You have to be aware that when you're hanging around people who are non-believers, look, we love them. We're going to get to this in a second. We love them, right? But don't catch what they're putting off. 
okay? okay? It could wreck you. It could wreck you. It'll get inside your brain. It'll start turning the gears. And you'll start thinking, man, it feels so good to be bad. It feels so alive to taste a little death. Man, it's a lie. It's such a lie. All right, the last thing Jude says, he calls them wandering stars. You know, my first, uh, first instinct was to talk about blind leading the blind, you know, because stars are meant for navigation. But if the stars are moving around up there, they're no good for, mat- for navigation, are they? And uh, these people are, are just like that. They, people may look to them for leadership, but they're not going anywhere. They're not doing anything for God. And it's the blind leading the blind. And that's very true, but that's, that's not what Jude was talking about. As I, as I really looked into it, I began to realize he was trying to say something else. Um, I, I want you to realize that anything in the sky that looks like a star, like I, just imagine the night sky with me, okay? Or pull out your little night sky app if you have it. And look at the stars and realize that anything that isn't stationary, that is moving around, is not producing its own light. It's only reflecting light, right? The planets, they wander. Satellites, comets, asteroids, anything. Whatever, if, if it's up there and it's moving around, it's not producing light. It's reflecting light. But the things that are producing light are stationary. Those are stars, right? Distant suns, gigantic balls of fire. You're called to be a gigantic ball of fire. You are not called to be something that wanders among all the other balls of fires and tries to act like one. The world calls these people hypocrites. They hang out among Christians. They seem like they're Christians, right? But they're wandering stars. And they're not producing any light. And I realize that's kind of a bad metaphor because obviously our light is, is coming from God. Uh, but you understand what I'm saying. They're, they're not like you and me. They're fakers. And, and God has some bad plans for them. It says that the, the blackness of, of darkness is set aside for them. What is going to happen is he's going to gather up all of these wandering stars that aren't producing their own light. They're just kind of reflecting everybody else's light. He's going to gather them up all into one place. And can you imagine what that one place is going to look like? Really dark. Because nobody's producing any light. And all of the Christians who have been producing light are going to be gathered to another place, heaven. And can you imagine what that place is going to look like? absolutely radiant don't be among the wandering stars look i'm not talking about people who jump from church to church to church that's not what i'm talking about at all uh what i'm talking about is people who change their identity based on who they're around right people who they hold on to a certain set of standards when they're around their christian friends but then whenever they get around to other friends it's a different set of standards right Start compromising your standards. Start speaking differently, talking about different things. They change who they are based on who they're around. Now look, I'm kind of like that, and it's a personality thing. Some people just act like the people around them, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an integrity thing. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, a, it's an integrity thing. Is I'm going to be a child of God, no matter if I'm talking with a New York accent at the pizza place or not. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> I, I'm going to be a child of God, even if it's with a Hispanic accent when I'm talking with a person who speaks Spanish. <laughs> I try not to, but it happens. <laughs> right? I, you know, I get into work sometimes, and I'm focused on the task at hand. And I don't talk about God a lot because I'm trying to do my job. But you know what? I'm still a child of God. And if somebody needs something, I'll change the topic. 
Let's talk about God. Right? Wandering stars don't do that. Don't be a wandering star. Be someone who's producing light. Be somebody who's stationary. Your identity is solid. You're a child of God. Everybody knows it. Nobody can question it. Right? Okay, because I don't want you to go to that blackness of darkness. Okay. Now look, these immoral types, they creep into the church uh, and they wreck things. And we need to be on guard. Not against them. We need to be on guard against us becoming one of them. I'm going to go back to what I said in the very beginning. This is a time of self-examination. This is not a time to begin looking around the room like, huh, I wonder who's a wandering star. I'm going to find who's got some foam on top. No, this is a time of self-examination because every single person in this room is in danger of becoming an immoral person, especially in this society. And I don't want it to happen. I want every person in this room to walk with the healthy fear of the Lord. Right? I want every person in this room to be a cloud filled with water. Just drenching everybody that needs a little something. Isn't that cool how God does that? We need a little something and He drenches us. (laughs) I want every person in this room to produce fruit when you don't even realize you're producing fruit. I want you to produce fruit like a fig tree where it's more fruit than anybody can even use. The lady I work with at work, her neighbor has a fig tree. And so about this time of year, about a month ago actually, she comes to work with figs. Dude, they're so good. Let me tell you, figs are delicious. It's heaven's fruit. (laughs) Kyle's just shaking his head, no. But listen, this guy, he makes jars and jars and jars and jars and jars of fig jam. And he's still, fig jam, I guess, yeah. Sounds like a bad band. (laughs) <laughs> like a Pearl Jam knockoff or something. Fig Jam. <laughs> Sorry. Steve gave me the pity laugh. <laughs> and he still has figs left over. So here comes Jolie with like Ziploc bags full of figs for us to munch on at work. And she says, there's still tons of figs. The birds are eating them up. The bugs are getting them. This little fig tree, it's like rolling. so many figs nobody could even use them I want you to be like that I want you to be producing so much fruit that the people around you don't even know what to do with it all (laughs) and then you know what happens the people around you got to start giving it away (laughs) I want you to be like that don't let immorality come in and steal that from you right I want the people in this room to be stars to be reliable, that whenever the wandering people of the world need some direction, they can look at you and know that they can find it. Not be confused. That's what happens. A wandering star, then there's like a lost person out there who needs Jesus, and they try to go to this person who doesn't reflect or produce any light, just reflecting and faking it. And then now they're trying to find some kind of direction to Jesus, and what happens? They just get confused. Like, wait, what? What, that's, that's how I'm supposed to be? That's what it means to be Christian? Don't, don't be like that. Be stationary. Be solid. Okay. And lastly, this is the big verse I wanted to hit on. Verse 22. It talks about what are we supposed to do when we're frustrated with all this immorality around us? On some have compassion making a distinction, right? So if there's, if there's non-believers that just don't believe in Jesus, they just don't believe in God, they just haven't been convinced, the Holy Spirit just hasn't enlightened them yet, have some compassion. Have some mercy on them. Speak to them with love, with kindness. Make sure that whenever they do start to think about God, they have a positive frame of mind for who He is. Okay? But make a distinction. Because there are some who have chosen not to believe. They've seen, 
They've understood. They've dismissed. Be careful of those types. If you can pull them out of their fire, then do it. Right? If you can get a hold of them and pull them back into God's love, into a good realization of, of Jesus' blood, then do it. Pull them out of the fire. Save them. Don't just shrug it like, well, they've made their choice. Good luck with that. Don't do that. Save them if you can. But be dang careful. Hate even the garment that has been defiled by the flesh. Man, that's strong. Like, look, you can come back to church, but you've got to change your wardrobe. Yeesh. <laughs> Normally we talk about, like, come in as you are, right? <laughs> and that's good. I want people to cut look, come as you are. We want to welcome everybody. But it's making a point there of how careful to be. Does that make sense? You don't have to change your wardrobe to come to Jesus. If all you have is hooker clothes, then come to church and sit in the back or away from the guy's eyes. You know, <laughs> Be respectful. But you know what I mean? But please, come to church. You know, I, we'll, never, we'll never send somebody away from church based on what they're wearing. That's not going to happen. But I'm going to be very careful whenever I'm out in the world and I'm trying to talk with people and I'm trying to talk about Jesus I'm going to be very careful, okay? And I'm, and I'm not going to dress with, like, Slayer shirts and stuff. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Don't judge people by their clothes. Can we all agree on that? All right. Jude... After all of that, talking about immorality, talking about what happens to immoral people, talking about what a problem it's become, he went straight back to the Great Commission, didn't he? At the end, he went straight back to the Great Commission and said, have compassion on some, pull people out of the fire. We have to do that, guys. It is not an acceptable response to immorality to simply complain about what you read on Facebook. That's not acceptable. Why? Because it's not effective. God is not up in heaven watching this world like it's some kind of picture show. He's not watching a movie. God has a mindset of changing the world. God has a mindset of changing people's hearts. And we have to embrace that same mindset. We have to. We have to. We've got to get out and talk with people. We've got to get out and convince somebody to think differently about Jesus. Bill Johnson tells this story, and I love it. It was when Bethel Church was still just really, really getting going, and they were starting to see amazing miracles. They didn't really know why. They had sought after God for the miracles, but you know what? So does everybody. But for some reason in their church, it was blowing up. God was doing amazing things. And they were just enjoying it like, well, this, this is awesome. And it was just getting started. They hadn't become this huge thing that it is now. And there was a fox. Kyle remembers this story, yeah? There was a fox. They're up in Redding, California. You know, like the wilderness is like two miles away. <laughs> Not that way here. And there was a fox on the church grounds that was running around, and they began noticing this fox. And they're like, wow, look at this fox. And, of course, they're beginning to seek the Lord. Oh, what does this fox mean? Oh, Lord, what are you trying to tell us with this fox? And one day the fox got inside of the church. And it's running around, you know, and they're trying to, oh, we've got to let the fox outside. We've got we to gotta protect the Lord's fox. You know, and they're trying to help the fox out. And the fox... Uh, sees an opening, runs toward the opening, it's a glass door, runs into the glass door and dies. Breaks its neck and dies. And you can imagine how they felt. They're like, we killed the Lord's fox. <laughs> Bill Johnson went to God and was like, what are you saying? And the Lord clear as day said, 
if you don't let it out, it will die here. And he was talking about the move of God that had been taking place in their house. If you don't let this out, it will die here. Man, don't you love when God just gives a strong message that you can't ignore? So they did. They did. They did everything they could. It was their only mindset. How can we open the doors? If we can open the doors in 15 different ways, we're going to do all 15. All 15. We've got to get this outside because it's, it can't die. It can't die. They've been seeing the miracles. They've been seeing the healings. They've been seeing deaf or uh, blind people see. They've been seeing deaf people hear. They're like, we can't let this die. I mean, there was urgency. Ask yourself this as a church. Does a bridge church have that urgency? Honestly, do we have that urgency? We have something really special here, guys. Every minister that comes into this place says it. You guys have got something amazing. You've got the presence of God. You've got, you've got genuine love. You have a culture of honor. You have something really good. And we kind of forget about it because we're in it every week. But I tell you this, if we don't get it out of this church, it'll die here. We have a lot of immorality in this world. But a lot of it would change if they saw love. A lot of it would change if they saw genuine Christian people who care. And we got to get to those people. We got to go pull them out of the fire. <laughs> Man. How many of you guys have ever been around a campfire with a toddler? We got to go pull some people out of the fire. In the back, you'll begin seeing these papers. This is a list of items. These are simple items. Laundry soap, crayons, coloring books, uh, coins like quarters that you can use in laundry machines, books, new books are good condition like new, gift cards like for grocery or gas, uh, coffee packages that we can give to the police and fire departments, tennis balls, small water bottles, decks of cards, packs of dice, Box chocolates, puzzles, uh, candies, gum, Tic Tacs, socks, school items, deodorant, toothbrushes, toothpaste, stuffed animals, crossword books, word search books, blank note cards, bookmarkers, individual little cracker packets or trail mix, or even just little prophetic words or encouraging pieces of art. Look, even cash. Guys, we're going to start giving out baskets, all right? And this is the way it's going to work. There's a list in the back, this yellow paper. It's your job to fund or provide materials for a basket. And we'll put the basket together, and it will be ready the following week. And then somebody is going to take that basket, and we'll have an assigned location, not geographically speaking, but topically speaking, like a laundromat. Or, or this needs to go to some police department, some fire department, whichever one's on the way home. And every week, we're going to find volunteers to take a basket. And it's on you to get out there and give the little gifts away and bless some people and share the love of Christ. I want to be really clear that it is not the Bridge Church's job to reach out. It is your job to reach out. It's the Bridge Church's job to empower you to do that so you can do it successfully. And we've not done our job. And it's not fair for us to expect you to do your job. And we're going to change that. And we're going to start empowering you to reach out so that you can do it successfully. And it'll be easy. It won't, we don't want to make this hard, right? Right? We don't want to do this thing where now you've got to give another night of your week. Now you've got to come in every Saturday. 
Maybe we'll get to that point down the road, but right now we want to do something that is actually feasible to fit into your busy life. And this is, this is a really good idea. When it came up in our staff meeting, I just felt it growing inside of me. I was like ready to go home. I was telling Steve, I was like ready to go home, but, but the more it was talked about, I was like, dude, we have to do this. We have to do this. So I want you to participate in it. Grab a list next week. Come with some stuff. We'll take care of getting it all organized and presentable, just like we do with our new guest little cookie packages, with a nice little note, a nice blessing. We'll have it all ready in a basket, ready to go the following week. The following week, you can grab whatever basket you want, and uh, we're not going to do an extraordinary amount of baskets, because I'll be danged if there are going to be baskets sitting here at the end of the Sunday. So we'll do maybe two to three baskets, and we're going we're gonna to make sure, during service, we're going to stop down and make sure we have volunteers. Okay, this basket's got to go to a laundromat. Who's taking it? This, okay, here is your basket. At the end of service, you've got to make sure that that basket gets to a laundromat sometime during the week. I would say just do it on Sunday. But I understand it's not always doable. Okay, can we do this? Does this seem like something that we can all get behind? We can't do nothing anymore. We can't just stay here. I have a friend at work, and they're in the inner city down in Dallas, their church. He's the pastor's kid. And man, they did an outreach a few weeks ago where they got all the ladies together and they went to all of the uh, uh, prostitutes down in like Oak Cliff and South Dallas. And they went out to these ladies with makeup and, you know, with skincare products. And they gave them makeovers and they talked with them about how special they are, how, how treasured they are. And he was telling me, you know, about this outreach. And he showed me the little promo video he made. And my heart broke because I realized that we don't do that. I was like, man, we're missing out on something. We got to change it. We got to change our culture. We have to become a culture that's community minded. Okay? All right. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. And I thank you that you've continued doing it so patiently. You've been so patient with me. You've been so patient with us. But now, Father, it's time for us to repay you for your patience. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be a wind at our back as we go and we try to reach people who are falling into fires. Help us be proper Christians. Clouds with water, trees with fruit, stationary stars. Help us to carry an urgency within us that reflects your urgency in heaven. Help us not to be complainers and grumblers. Help us to be world changers, world movers. God, we want to grow. We want to be better. You've shown me this week, Lord, and I thank you for it that the world needs its best people to not just be their best. It, the world needs its best people to be better. And we want to be better, God. Help us, Lord, to walk with compassion as we see non-believers, as we see the immoral. But help us also to walk uh, with discernment, making sure that we are not affected uh, by that whole presence. God, help us to be carriers of your presence. And as we walk with your presence, let it vindicate our decisions to believe in you. Lord, help us not try to convince people with argumentative words, but rather, God, let us convince people with kindness, the same way that you do. And Father, more than anything, I desperately plea 
Help us become people who steward what you've given us instead of letting it die in a single place. In Jesus' name, Lord, amen. Okay, so grab a list. Uh, have a look at it. Decide what you can do. Something small. It doesn't have to be big. Come back next week with the mindset of blessing people. Come back with a story or two of how you've already blessed some people. And let's start changing people's hearts, okay? All right, you guys be blessed. We love you.